We're going through the book of John, and, and I'm not going through the entirety of the book of John. Uh, I've covered um, Jesus' resurrection and other uh, messages. I usually save that for Easter Sundays, and, and, um, and I'll be doing that again as we come up to Easter. Um, but Jesus has risen from the grave. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. I was going to do a study on her, but I just didn't feel called to do it. We're going to take a look at a, a, a person I believe is probably one of the most misunderstood people in the Bible, uh, Thomas. And we're going to take a look at him this morning in John chapter 20. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. These lovely, lovely folks will get you one. John chapter 20. And before I have you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, um, putting into perspective, uh, Jesus has, has gone before Pontius Pilate. They just, then they crucified him. Um, we saw the thieves on the cross. Uh, Jesus' final words, I thirst, and then he said, to tell us die, it is finished. And uh, we were, I, I was moved, maybe you weren't. It, it, it's one of the most compelling portions of, of Jesus' time on this earth. And the word to tell us die is what echoes throughout all humanity and just changes the, the playing field. And, um, and now he promised that he would rise from the dead. He had given this promise to the disciples, and he was true to his word. He resurrected and appeared on a Sunday during a church service, and uh, Thomas wasn't at church, and he missed it. (laughs) And I'm just saying, when you miss church, things happen without you. Let's just just meditate on that a little bit. All right, we're going to pick up with uh, Thomas's struggles. And let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up at verse 24. Now, Thomas called Didymus, which means twin, Thomas, the twin. We don't know who his twin is. We don't know if it's identical or fraternal. Um, I like it, and I'll tell you why. I think it applies to us. Now, Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other's disciple The other disciples therefore said to him, and in the Greek it means continually said to him, so they keep repeating this, we have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Let's repeat that. I will not believe. One, two, three. You did it well. You get an extra donut. We have Krispy Kremes, by the way, after service. Only 12 of them. (laughs) And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, and the doors behind shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you, which is shalom. And then he said to Thomas, Reach your fingers here, and look at my hands, and reach your hands here, and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then I wanted to read... One last area, and uh, this is starting at verse 19. I'm just going to jump up. This is the church service that he missed. The same 
Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That's the church service he missed. It was a good service to be at, again. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. And God, all of us, I just saw that and it just echoed in my heart. In a sense, Lord, all of us are a twin, a Thomas. We all go through times of struggle. And Lord, we want to we wanna believe. And I, I, I seriously doubt, Lord, he doubted you. I think he doubted what others said about you. And so, Lord, I ask that you'd minister to us. Apply these truths to our heart and transform us. Glorify us that we might glorify you. Lord, I pray in this fellowship that there would be an ever-increasing hunger for your word. I pray there'd be an ever-increasing hunger for prayer and for fellowship. And that through that, God, you would bring revival into our community, into our, our state, our nation, and the world. Lord, I, I, I tire of people decrying the end times and giving up. Lord, we ask that you'd bring revival. We pray that there'd be latter rains that would just satiate and saturate the earth, that hearts would be transformed. And I pray, God, that you'd give us a brand new, fresh perspective, that we would see you high and lifted up in the train of your robe, filling the temple with glory. God, encourage your people this day. Bless them, I pray, according to your riches in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a seat, please. I, I had the, the privilege to um, go to uh, Iowa. Uh, I think I left, I left, I left Thursday. Um, yeah, I left Thursday and I came back Friday. Uh, on my connecting flight, I went from LAX to Minneapolis, Minneapolis to Des Moines. And on my connecting flight, I had to get onto a real small plane uh, and it was tiny and I, I got there late on the connection. As I'm walking in, there's, there's a Senator, Ted Cruz, he's going to the same event. And I go, hey, Senator Rob McCoy. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, David Lane's pastor. I go, thanks. <laughs> That's how I'm known. <laughs> and uh, real, you know, and he, he looked real tired. And, and uh, it was a great event. Um, had a chance to just see God do some neat things. And, and then I had to hurry to catch my flight back because I wanted to go visit my dad. My, my siblings and I were gathering together. My dad's getting real close to going to be with the Lord we wanted to go and gather together, and my sister came in, and we wanted to have a time together with him. So I flew into San Diego, and, and I get to the gate, and it says my seat's not assigned, and I'm, I'm kind of tired, and I, I get to the, and it's just packed in the Des Moines airport, and, and, and I'm seeing this is going to be a cattle car flight, as everyone had been on this Delta. And I get up, and there's nobody at the counter. I don't have my ticket yet. I go over to the other counter, which is a flight to Atlanta, and I'm, I'm flying to Salt Lake City. And I said, is there going to be anyone at the counter? And they said, well, we're very busy. There's only two of us. I'm like, oh, this is going to be awful. And they said, as soon as we settle this, we'll go over there. I said, okay. So uh, my wife has some concerns. I'm talking to her on the phone. I'm walking through the airport. And I finally just, I just stopped, and I say a little prayer. I just said, you know, God, uh, I need to go see Dad. I just ask that you'd bless this time. I just pray for refreshment. My heart was a little down. I'd had a, a tough conversation, and not with Michelle, but I, I just was struggling. And, and I said a little prayer there. 
And, you know, your faith wanes a little bit. Anyone ever go through that? And, and you pray that, but you're not really expecting refreshment, you know. And uh, you're giving God an out. It's like, you know, Lord, I know you can, but I don't know if you really want to, you know. <laughs> so I'm kind of moping my way back to the gate, and I figure, well, I'll just, I'll just get towards the gate in case the lady comes, because there's going to be a crowd, and they're all massing, and another group came. And as soon as I walk up, the lady bolts past me, gets in front of the, the teleprompter thing, and she goes, can I help you? I'm like, whoa. And all of a sudden, everyone lines up behind me. I'm like, ha, I said, I need a seat. And she says, here, and here's your seat, and you're all set. I says, aisle. She says, yes, I've got an aisle for you. I said, I heard some announcement. I was on the phone, but I heard some announcement that you needed this flight's overbooked. She says, oh, it's awful. I said, well, I just need to be at San Diego by tomorrow morning at 7 to see my dad. He's, he's not doing too well. She says, well, I can get you there, but would you mind going through Atlanta? And I go, isn't Atlanta further east? She says, yes, but it'll only get you into San Diego 20 minutes later. I said, well, okay, I'll do that. That's good. I don't mind. I'm happy to help. And she puts it in. She gives me a $500 voucher. And then I get on the plane that's completely packed, and they've got me on an exit row aisle with, you know, it's like, ha. And I'm sitting next to Dale Perkins, who's probably the most godly man I've ever met. He he does the um, uh, classic praise, and, and he's just, He's, he's in his 80s, and he has walked with the Lord his whole life. He's got kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids. Every one of them walks with the Lord. They have these family reunions in Longview, Texas, and he's, he's talking about his children. He's weeping, and he's, he's just talking to me, and it's, it's comforting my heart. And he's just blessing me and talking to me, and then... Uh, uh, and then I connected in, in uh, Atlanta to, uh, to San Diego, same thing, really nice flight, sat next to lovely people from Richmond and talked to them about the Lord. And I just got in, had a great time with my dad, and I thought, you know, Lord, I uttered a prayer kind of in faithlessness, and you bless me. And, and I, that's a long story to tell you that as I sat down in front of this text, I don't think Thomas is a bad guy, and he's gotten a bad rap. I mean, you know, you walk on an airplane and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're David Lane's pastor. I mean, you have to live with that mantra your whole life of, I'm kidding. David's a lovely man. Uh, but, but Thomas, what do we call him? Gosh. And, you know, think about this guy. He's really done us a couple of huge favors. Before we get into the text, look at John 14 with me. Look at John 14. Before you start giving this guy that mantra... John 14, verse 14, Jesus speaking, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And if you were there, you know that every one of you in the room would say, I have no idea where he's going. And I don't know the way either. And I'm going to pretend like I do. Yes? Come on. When people go through explanations and share all those things and you're looking around and everyone looks like they're very intently listening and you're realizing, am I the only one who didn't understand what this person said? This is my world. I live here. It's pretty much every Tuesday at the council. And as I'm listening trying intently to grasp this. 
Uh, I'm looking, and they all look some studious, and, and I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea what that person just said. And I wish somebody would say, could you explain that in a way that others who are normal could grasp it? And, uh, and yet I come to find out, as I'm now 51, I'm not any wise old owl, but I've been around long enough to realize that most of the people in the room who are looking like they know what the person's saying are just like me. They have no idea what the person is saying. And so when Jesus says, verses 1 through 4, I am so grateful for Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, <laughs> we have no idea where you're going, and we don't know the way. And I pretty much speak for all of us, even though they're pretending like I'm an idiot. And are we not grateful for Thomas? Because had he not asked those two questions, we would have never have had one of the most profound verses that you can sit with a cup of coffee or tea and just meditate on, and it never stops blessing you. Verse 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come on. Thomas nailed it. I didn't get that out of verses 1 through 4. But I sure got it out of verse 6, and I'm grateful that Thomas asked the question. Can we give Thomas a round of applause? Come on. Let's give it... Who's not clapping? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm blessed by, by Thomas. I'm thankful for him. To me, that was epic. Now, in, in regards to this, I look at that as, as uh, honest Thomas. Honest Thomas. Now, jump back to John 11. John chapter 11. Jesus is getting ready. People are hating him, and they want him dead. Now we've seen what he's already done to him, but we've studied this. But remember in John 11, look at verse 8. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and, and you're going there again? You want to go to Jerusalem? Are you an idiot? Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, and he goes on to one of these sayings that everyone's going, and uh, verse 11, these things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I, uh, but I go that I might wake him up. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. We don't need to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you and us. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Verse 14, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. All right, he's not sleeping, he's dead. We're going to go and raise him from the dead. Verse 15, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. We're going to Jerusalem. Deal with it, fellas. All right? I'm in danger, and you're going to be in danger. I'm going to him. Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. I don't think he's like, well, might as well go. I'm no need in living. <laughs> No, he's like, you know what? He's our man. Let's die with him. Let's go. And, I, and I, I, look at, I look at this picture, and I see in Thomas, he's devoted, and he's brave, he's courageous. And now he gets this mantra of, of doubting Thomas. He's also, don't forget, if you, you look at Luke chapter 6, and we won't go there, but if you look at Luke 6, he's one of the apostles. Nobody in this room is an apostle. He is, Right? He's an apostle. He's one of the 12. And if you're wondering how significant that is, you go to Revelation 21, and on the foundations in heaven, his name is written. Okay, I'd say that's pretty solid. Watch what you're calling him. Just saying. 
Now, before we, we go back to the text, one last thing I want to do. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. This is Deuteronomy chapter 4. You can note it, verse 29. It says, the Lord says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him, if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. First Chronicles 28.9 says, he's uh, speaking to Solomon, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of our, your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And then Malachi 3.10, it's, it's a verse constantly used in churches for people to, to engage in giving and tithing. I like the passage for this reason. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me now. The Lord's saying, try me, test me. Basically, this is what Thomas is doing. He's testing, try me, test me. In this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. One of the hardest things we struggle with in Christianity is giving. And we struggle with giving because it really tests whether or not we believe God is real and that his church is the instrument of righteousness on the earth. We... We just struggle with that. We don't struggle with, with sending 30, 40, 50% of our income to the federal government or to the state. We just write the check. I mean, we struggle with it, but we write the check. Why? Well, because I got a notice. Well, you have a notice every Sunday. Amen? Well, oh, I love you, Lord. What? No. <laughs> Writing that? Are you kidding me? I tip him. I don't, I don't, I don't test him. I, I don't test God. I tip him. <laughs> You see, prayer, tithing, those are all acts of worship that require you to believe in a God you can't see or touch. That's why when you hold a prayer meeting, not many people come because they feel like they're talking to someone who's not there. The reason why you don't give is because you don't feel as though it really is the God you're declaring you believe in. There's a doubt. These are physical manifestations. I want to see tangible proof before I give 10% of my income, before I go to a Sunday night prayer meeting. It's a struggle. Thomas is no different. Every one of us in the room is his twin. I, I, I like the fact they never told us who his twin was. Because let's look around the room. And that tells me that it was uh, fraternal, not identical. All right, let's go back to the text and we'll, we'll take a look at it together. John chapter 20 begins with verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, Didymus in the Greek means twin, one of the 12, meaning he's an apostle. He was not with them when Jesus came. We saw that in the earlier verses. He missed that church service. He missed the church service. Think of all the reasons why we miss church. And are any of them any good? I mean... I could imagine Thomas going, I ain't going to church. I'll probably have to sit next to Peter. <laughs> that guy betrayed the Lord, and I'm not going to sit with a hypocrite. I just sit behind him and go, And he'd get it. Oh, he'd get it. 
And we don't go to church because we're irritated with somebody. You need to get over that. No, really, you need to get over that. And if you're irritated with me, go find another church then. Or come talk to me. That's even better. The Bible says, endeavor to keep the union of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I ran into somebody the other day, and, and um, uh, I knew their husband, and, and they had been divorced and remarried. And, and I didn't know the, the spouse or the, the lady, but I, I knew the husband. And I met the lady, and, and she said, you know, my husband's really struggling with you. Would you mind calling him or having him call you to wreck? I said, yeah. First of all, I'm thinking, I didn't really know. I'm, I'm, I have this unbelievable gift of offending people, but I didn't realize that this poor man had to carry this because it's probably been 10 years since I've had a conversation with him. I thought, sure, sure here's my number. Call, have him call me. You know, if, if I've offended you, uh, there's, I can think truly that there are three people that, that there's still tension that I'm, I'm trying to work through. But beyond those three, pe- th- those three people in my life, I'm looking around the room, and I can't really think that there's anybody here that I've knowingly hurt. And if I have, don't leave the church because you're irritated with me. Come and talk to me. And I'm saying that because I'm visible to all of you. I'm not the only one. You probably have an issue with somebody else. Maybe you were offended by the way they served you the coffee. I don't know. But nothing should hinder us from being in fellowship, ever. We have to choose to be offended. And that offense keeps you out of church. And you know what happens when you miss church? You end up like Thomas. He was what? He was here? You saw us and the, huh? What? Yeah, there was revival. They gave out $100 bills. (laughs) I missed that? The idea is you don't miss church. Thomas missed the, the, the one service. Now, granted, he was probably, I can go through a myriad. He's probably very depressed. And, and you're moping. And, and I, everyone in the room has gone through depression. And, and that, to have that keep you out of church, you should be in church if you're depressed. I don't want to be around anybody. Then that's when you really need to be around people. And, and so this is what's happening. And, and now check this out, verse 25. The other disciples uh, therefore said to him, and, and the, in the Greek, the, the construct of, the, of, the, of that text is continued to say to him, you, you missed it. Hey, did you hear Jesus was here? You missed it. You know, hey, you missed it. I know. Yeah, I missed it. And no, seriously, I know. I know. I'm in the hands. Side. Missed it. Got it. Everybody saw him but me. Got it. Mary Magdalene was the first one that saw Jesus. Now all the disciples see him, and he appears to them in the midst of this, and he, he, he breathed on us. He says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. It was awesome. It was unbelievable. It's like revival broke out. I've been praying for a revival. Uh, Robert Murray McShane prayed for a revival in his church, preached on revival for, for years. He went to Israel for a study abroad. He was gone for almost three months. It took longer then to go. When he came back, revival had broken out in his church. He's like, What? This is so not fair. I hate missing service because cool things happen when you're gone. And, and they continue to say to him, continually saying to him, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. Now, I want to stop there for a minute. I, I really believe from this point on that Thomas didn't doubt Jesus. He was willing to die with him. 
He, he, he was the honest one to ask the question that nobody was willing to ask. He, he, he's one of the disciples. He's witnessed the miracles. He's devoted to the Lord. He's still connected with him, even under threat of death. I, I, don't, I don't believe he doubted Jesus. I believe he doubted what others said about Jesus. You guys remember Harold Camping? Anybody? He's come and gone. He, he predicted the return of the Lord. He gave a date. Came and went. He reassessed it. He had this real gravelly voice. He was on TV all the time. <laughs> he missed it, and his, his ministry just dissipated. Now, it increased, and then he just gone. You guys remember the, the blood moons? Anyone buy those books? I, I had a family member, not saying who. Wasn't my wife. Come to me and tell me, oh, the blood moons and all these things are... I go, listen, <laughs> I've been in the ministry a long time. I remember Y2K. That was a real winner. I mean, the whole world was going to melt down. All resulted was one blinking light in Moscow. <laughs> and I remember parents wouldn't let us take the kids up to the mountains for a winter camp because they were afraid of Y2K. They were, they, and they had stored food. And I told the parents, I go, I go, look, we'll be up on the mountain. If Y2K is everything they say it's going to be, we'll just watch from the mountain as the valley below burns. We're going to be fine. Some people moved to Montana from the church in San Jose. No fooling. That guy sold, and I remember as we were getting closer to Y2K, the guy who started the whole thing, his name um, uh, to remain, ah, Chuck Missler, what the heck. Some of you are struggling with that. It was Chuck Missler. And I remember him at a pastor's conference doing his best to try to sell the remainder of his C- C- DVDs or CDs before it hit. And he just disappeared in a sense after. And, you know, he did a lot of really good things. This one devastated people. Devastated people. And Thomas is basically saying, I don't doubt the Lord. I'm doubting what you're saying about the Lord. I remember when I first became a Christian and I told you that story about the guy in the bus that started telling me all these things about the Lord. And I, I, I went back and studied it for myself and found out he was wrong. You, you've, 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 you know, it's, it's like what we studied before with Pontius Pilate when, when he, he said, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus' response was, uh, is that your own opinion or did somebody give that to you? And, 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 and it still applies here with Thomas. Thomas didn't doubt Jesus. He doubted what others said about Jesus. I've heard a lot of things about the Lord. I get, I get emails from every person imaginable. And, and they send me all this stuff. And, and they've come to conclusions about who they think Jesus is and on and on and on. And, and I look and I think, you don't know him. See, part of it is subjective and, other, and more of it is objective. I know subjectively who Jesus is. I've had experiences with him. I've had testings with him. I've had trials with him. He is close to me. He's my best friend. He is my Lord and he is my God. And there's a peace that he gives me that, that others don't have. And I, and I would say this, people, people love to dismiss Christ. And they, they talk about 
You know, he's, he's like the Easter Bunny. Believing in Jesus is like believing in the Easter Bunny or believing in Santa Claus. Really? Why do we want to keep him out if he's so not dangerous like the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus? We still allow the Easter Bunny into schools. Why do we keep Jesus out? Santa Claus is still out, but oh no, no, he's out now because it's saint, it's attached to Jesus. And 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 the idea is, you know he's real. And it's not it's not that you cannot believe in Jesus. Remember we said I will not believe? The Bible says every man is without excuse. Every man, meaning mankind, man and woman, is without excuse. There's, there's nobody in the room who cannot believe in Jesus. I, I say this to my son all the time, and, and we were at dinner last night. Can I have, may I? If you're a teacher and the child says, can I go to the restroom? I don't know, can you? If you can't, you really shouldn't be in my class. May I? Can is ability. Everyone in the room has the ability to believe in Jesus. The issue is, I will not. I will not. And you will not because you, you doubt Jesus based on what others say about him. Thomas is way more equipped than you are. He doubts what others are saying about him. He wants a right relationship. He wants to believe. And as I read those passages to you, if you seek the Lord, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. If you really want to test God, do it. He'll prove himself correct. He'll appear to you in a dream. He'll, 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 he'll bring you to the end of yourself. You really want to know if Jesus is real? Ask him. And every man and woman is given a measure of faith. And, and I, I doubted the words of Harold Camping. I doubted the words of those who came up with the blood moon concept. And you know what? I don't doubt the return of Jesus. But I got to tell you, I tire of the endless, endless bickering over eschatology, study of the end times, and the division in the church of that. I don't doubt Jesus' return. I just doubt other people's theories about his return. I'm tiring of them. And I'm, I'm, I'm angered at the division in the body of Christ. I don't doubt Jesus' return. I don't doubt his words. I struggle. You know, to every man and woman is given a measure of faith. And look what happens here. In this passage, he says... Unless I see his hands in the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Not cannot, I will not. I, I, I cannot give him the entirety of my life without knowing for certain that this is true. I want to serve the Lord in a greater capacity. I've been with him. I've, I've watched what has occurred. I've heard the stories. I've, I've, I've seen you, Peter. You're a little odd. And we've already lost Judas, and I thought that that guy was straight as an arrow. 
And you guys are telling me these things, and I appreciate it. And listen, there's something special about another human being's testimony. I'm moved by it. We give testimony, and they're powerful, and subjectively they are. But objectively, this is your job, not mine. Your, your job is to, to test and see if Christ is real. He has made claims that you have to deal with. Well, I don't, I don't believe I have to. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. How do you plan on standing before an eternal God who is holy without sin and appeasing him? It, really, what do you possess that you can give God? Martyrdom? That's going to appease him? Your brilliance? Your goodness? Your kindness to others? Your honesty? He possesses all of these things. What is it that we've, we've done that needs to be resolved? In a holy God who is, who is the author of love, the author of life, the author, author of goodness, everything that is evil, everything that is bad, he, he detests. And we've embraced that and we've run to the darkness. It's, it's not that there isn't evidence for Christ. The Bible says the light has come into the world and the world hates the light and loves the darkness. We, we come up with all kinds of different religions and define everything we can so that we can hold on to our bigotry and our hatred and our sin and our anger and our addictions and, and somehow dismiss a God that we're accountable to who's come to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and give us a new lease on life requiring that we would submit. And the Bible says every man is without excuse. There is no other religion in the world that has more evidence of prophetic fulfillment than Christianity. None. And if you doubt that, contest with me. We'll we'll do a debate up here. And I'm not even that well. I can bring more up here that will dissolve any doubt you have. It's not, it's not lack of evidence. But what, what Thomas is saying is, I will not believe and, and go this further step of giving my entire life in, in the Roman world where there's, there's certain death awaiting me. I, 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 I'm one of the apostles. If, if I'm going to stand with this apostolic calling, I need to see this. And I ask you, what, are you what, what is missing in your life that will take you all the way? What do you need that you would be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Not half-hearted, not right, tipping God, not doing the Sunday thing. I'm talking about in a world that desperately needs the gospel. What is necessary to put you where you need to be to go all in? What do you need? I remember one man saying to me, well, if I saw an amputation and evidence of a regenerated limb, I said, if I give that to you, will you give your entire life to Christ right here and fall on your face and worship him? Well, I mean, I'd have to test it and make sure that, okay, so you're really, that's not it. You're just giving me things that you think are impossible. I'm going to ask you, as I've asked myself in the course of this text, what, what is it? What is it that's going to make you go all in? Not this half-hearted, half-baked, non-revival, not engaging, not wholeheartedly just sold out in, in radical devotion to Christ. What do you need? Be careful what you ask for because you're going to get it if you really, really want it. 
You can be in an airport terminal in Des Moines <laughs> and having a bad day and walk away with a $500 voucher and a lot of leg room. And you know what? And, and that wasn't even the highlight. It was sitting next to Dale. I'd, I'd give all that away just to sit with Dale and hear his faith. Generation after generation after generation of, of family walking with the Lord. And when I look at him, his whole life is devoted to the things of Christ. I listen to stories of him in third world. This is, this is a West Texas boy, has no idea what chopsticks are. In the Orient, or it's Orient, excuse me, in, in, in the East. And he's, he just doesn't even understand the culture. And he's absolutely loved wherever he goes. There's just something sweet about that man. What's going to make it so that you will believe completely? And the idea for Thomas was, I will not believe me. I will not give everything. Because you know what Thomas ended up being? He went to India. Remember Neil Mammon? His family, generations. He, he, India was Christianized long before America by Thomas. He went to Parthia, thousands of converts. He was, he was killed by, by being impaled on a spike. Verse 26 says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside. So Thomas isn't going to miss church again. And Thomas was with them, it says, and it makes it very clear. And Thomas with them. Jesus came. The doors being shut, he stood in the midst. He just appears with his resurrected voice, passing through walls. But he eats, because we saw in the previous thing, he's eating. He ate, he ate um, some fish and he ate a honeycomb. And it didn't like just fall through him. Like, <laughs> he didn't just like push it into his belly and like, whoa, that's so cool. You know, he, I don't know. I, I didn't go through the whole thing. <laughs> And Jesus stood in the midst. Now, by the way, stood in the midst. Isn't that where he is right now? Wherever two or more are gathered, there he is. He's here right now. He inhabits the praises of his people. And guess what? None of you can see him. How many of you believe in him? Right? Yeah, amen. We can all raise our hands, but we've, we've believed without seeing. But here's what happens. He's in the midst, and he said, peace to you. Shalom, peace to you. Not as the world gives peace, give I unto you. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of God in the midst of the conflict. A peace that surpasses all understanding. God doesn't change our circumstances, just our perspective. People are not the enemy, they're opportunities. We're not embittered, we're not offended. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here, put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Now, I want to put that in the proper construct of of the way it was intended to be. It reads, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And as I looked at the Greek, it says, don't continue to be more unbelieving, but become more believing. So in the New King James, it's very close. You see, faith and belief, faith and belief are never static. Faith and belief are never static. They're always growing in one direction or the other related to Jesus. And you know, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. The less time you spend in church, the more you listen to what others are saying about Jesus instead of what Jesus says about himself. And then your faith wanes and you become less believing. And, and what he's saying is, what is it gonna take for you to wholly understand and serve me? You gotta touch, do, do it. 
And you know what's fascinating? Is it says Thomas saw him. And you can imagine when Jesus looked to him and he says, go ahead, put your fingers where you want it to. And you imagine all the disciples turning and going, oh man. And guess what? They all struggled as well and they all got to see Jesus' hands and his side. They all doubted. They're no different than, than we are. They were no different than Thomas. But here's what's fascinating about Thomas. The minute Jesus says this, he says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Faith is not static, Thomas. I, I need you to be all in. I need you to give me all of your heart, all of your life. I have purchased you with my blood. You are wholly mine. There's work to be done. You, you have no idea how intense it's going to be in India. You have no idea how intense it's going to be in Parthia. You're, you're going to lose your life. Thomas, you've got to make sure. I want to give you everything you need. And as he puts his hands out and he shows the wound in his side, the fascinating thing to me is verse 28. Thomas answered. It didn't say Tom, Thomas touched. Thomas reached out. Thomas went to feel. No, Thomas didn't do anything. He just answered. And he gave the most profound declaration of faith ever in the Bible. It was even greater than, than Peter's when he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's greater than that. He just said, my Lord and my God. You are in charge and I am your servant. Let's do this. Now, I speak to the apathy in the room. In a community that desperately needs the touch of Christ in a revival beyond measure. I speak to the apathy in the body of Christ as I've traveled this country. I speak to the apathy that we witness every Sunday. What do you need? Ask for it. But doggone it, when you get it, go all in. And Jesus looked. And some of you are saying, well, I would serve the Lord if he were just right in front of me. And you're going to give me the limb deal. Well, I want to see a regenerated limb. <laughs> I'll serve the Lord when my spouse comes back. When he brings me my dead baby back. Your bitterness has imprisoned you. You're not here to worship God. You're here to build a case against God. You're in the wrong place. This is a room of worshipers. Because if, if you want to put a, a demand of God, be careful. Jesus said, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want a miracle. Really? Miracle will do it? Really? Or is that just an excuse? Is it a convenient excuse? What are you using to justify apathy?
We see miracles and we, dis- we dismiss them. We think of the sun rises and the sun sets every day in a world that the pagan world calls chaotic. There's complete order. We watch the sun rise and the sun set and the seasons come and the seasons go. We can, we can bank on a calendar mathematically in a world that has declared it's chaotic and it happened by chance. There's complete order. You look at the intricacies of the human body and every cell Look at the the uniqueness of the baby being born, the child being formed in its mother's womb. And and we we come up with every kind of construct, every kind of idea to dismiss all that. And yet, God's word declares. And, And I think to myself this. My lungs are moving, my heart's beating. My eyes look at you as is these cones and and miles of nerves and and and, I, and and just the intricacy of the human eye is taking in depth perception and color and and you're you're doing the same here. We just take it for granted. It's just cosmic accident. And and you say, I want a miracle. You are a miracle. You know, God's going to give you something better than a miracle. And and in our world, this is highly valued. Highly valued. More than anything else, I think. In a world ever increasing with distrust, distrust and heartache and lies and deception. God says, I'm not going to give you a miracle. I'm going to give you something that I hold above my name. I'm going to give you my word. Did you feel that? (laughs) I'm going to give you my word. I'm going to give you my word. And that's the power here. And he says, you're blessed. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. How many people were saved by a miracle? Raise your hands. How many people were simply... Saved by the preaching of the word. Raise your hands. You see the power of that? The word of God is profound. It's living. It's breathing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's not that you cannot believe. You will not. You just don't want to take him at his word because you, you, you'd rather justify your pity little life. Excuse me, petty. Pitiful. Pitiful and petty. Pity. Petitiful. And I close with these last two thoughts. Verse 30, it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. These are written that you, hello, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name, a life lived for his glory, without apathy, completely committed. We pick on Thomas, and it's not fair. That guy was all in. 
I think what he gives us today is a great gift, just like he gave us in John 14 when he asked the question we were all thinking. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus lovingly responded to Thomas every time. And had Thomas not asked the question, we would have never gotten that powerful answer. And had Thomas not said what he said, look, I don't doubt Jesus. I doubt what others say about him. Well, what's it going to take to be all in? Because after Thomas got this, his, his, his profession was the most profound in all the scriptures. My Lord, which means you're the boss, and my God. Some of us have lords that aren't our gods. But he is our Lord and our God. And his life testified to the fact that he lived what he believed. And he believed what he lived. And this is what he gives us today. He's not doubting Thomas. He's our twin. And he wants you to have what he had. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. We ask your blessing on this time of worship that, Lord, though the service is a little odd, and we only did a few songs at the front, Lord, I pray that this, this closing with a, more songs at the end would allow us to have this truth of Thomas's life sink into our heart. What is necessary for us to proclaim my Lord and my God? Lord, as we worship you in this place through this music that you've given to us, Holy Spirit, would you speak to every heart present to call for the question, what is necessary for you to declare Jesus, to be your Lord and your God. That there's no more apathy, you're all in. What is needed? And God will reveal that. And if you need it, he'll give it. He's faithful. And so God, we thank you that you gave to Thomas what you're willing to give to us. Bless this time of worship. And we praise you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.